It's been mentioned a lot this morning, we've sung about it a lot this morning, about the grace of God, about the grace of God. And I really like to have his prayer. It's important that we are reminded about the grace of God. And I had the words of the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. And sometimes our mind immediately thinks, well, that means going out and spreading the gospel. And of course, there is there is that type of evangelism. However, it's very important to evangelize the church that we're in, which is to share with one another the good news of Jesus. Amen? So often we can forget and we can be learning stuff and information which is all good and helpful, but sometimes I think it's important to step back and go, what is all this about? What is the gospel about? What is grace all about? So this morning, we want to be hearing, not from me, but from the Lord, from his word about the grace of God and his appearing. So would you stand with me um, this morning? We're going to be in Titus chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 11 through verse 14. Titus chapter 2. From verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And Lord, will you put it in the hearts of your people, to put it in my heart, Lord, the desire to hear once again about the good news of Jesus. So often the world is full of bad news. However, that's not the gospel. So Lord, we want to hear from your word this morning. Lord, may we put down all distractions of the week. And Lord, may we humbly invite the Holy Spirit to dwell among us and in us, that we may hear from you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen, Amen. Please be seated. Now, in this epistle, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is a pastor, is a fellow worker. He journeyed with Paul on his mission trips and is the overseer of the church there in Crete. And at the beginning of this epistle, um, it's really a letter of instruction. If we look in chapter 1, verse 5, always writing that Timothy and, and Titus, that they should appoint elders in every city, raise up men in every city. And then he goes into a list of the, the tasks of the elders. And then we get to chapter 2. Now he's talking about the qualities of a sound church. These are the qualities of a sound church. 
discussion about older men and older women, how they're to be treated, how younger men and younger women are to serve and treat their elders, and also instruction for servants. All of this is very instructive. However, in the midst of this writing, in the midst of this instruction to this pastor here in Crete, Paul blurts out these words in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God has appeared. Now, why this sudden outburst? Well, we have the Apostle Paul here. Like so many churchmen, he has responsibility, he has daily chores. He's answering emails and text messages and ordering skips and knocking down things and cupboards. And the work can be very mundane. And men could get bogged down doing this work. When all of a sudden, he's overcome, or should I say overtaken, with joy. For the grace of God that brings salvation is appeared to all men. And it's absolutely blown his mind. It is documented it here. But let me ask you this morning, how often do we do this as Christians? How often do we reflect that God has appeared to us, that God has come down? So often, I'm sure with you as it is with me, it's church, stuff, doctrine, people, problems, this thing, this video, this YouTube video, whatever it may be. Do I know enough? Am I living godly enough? Rather than the focus on saying, God has appeared. Amen? Amen? I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe it's just me. I sometimes get caught out. Say, well, hold on a minute. God has come. I I tell you what, if you want to see a reaction, give that news to somebody else. As excited as the Apostle Paul is, you'll get a reaction. You'll get a very blank look. I had a guy come in the house who's trying to sell broadband. I was giving him salvation He was giving me broadband. We will see him. What made you become a Christian? I was like, how long have you got, my friend? He got the gospel. And the first thing was that I have met Christ and he lives. And God came down and he came and saved me. I was in a dark place. And he sat there like this. And he was checking his watch. I don't give a monkey's eye of a pastor's watch. It goes on for hours. But he got it. But how amazed are you this morning? about God coming down, about God appearing. I see it like this. We live in a world that is so focused, and I think very deliberately, on the self. Man has become obsessed with self and examining self and looking at myself and how do people see me and what do people think about me and how do I appear to other people? But the apostle Paul had eyes on the Lord. His eyes were constantly on Jesus and his mind and his thoughts were constantly, as it says in his epistles, on the church and serving the church and giving to the church, and pouring out to the church, and praying for 
the church. And Paul saw, with eyes open, the transforming power of the gospel. And what that brings, it saves lives, it changes lives. Praise the Lord. Amen? Next week, we have two baptisms. I'm very excited about this. I'm probably more excited than the people being baptized. I don't know about that, Paula. I very much doubt it, sister. But the way I see it is this. This is two souls coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior, eternally. Praise the Lord. And I'm afraid if you can't get excited about that, I can't help you. Maybe you can't fathom it. Maybe I can't fathom that. That someone is coming to Christ and is saved eternally. And you're going to be with the Father eternally. And all the questions that they have will be answered when we walk with Messiah by a still stream. All the questions. I'm afraid lots of those questions you won't be bothering, hassling Jesus with. Because I think once we're in his presence, many of those will be answered. Amen? Now, this is what Paul is excited about. That all of this, God's coming, salvation, all of this is all by grace. God's unmerited favor, nothing you can earn. Well, we hear about grace, but how much do we grab hold of what this actually means? It means this, it's nothing about you guys. It's all about God. And God is doing the work And we are just really reaping the rewards. Amen? Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn to Ephesians 2. I must say this morning, I am excited about what Jesus is doing in this church. I'm excited about what he's doing in the lives of people. I'm excited about the fact he's transforming people. I'm excited about the fact he's saving people in a small group here in North Harbury. Amen? This is known really should be as a a reformation passage. This is a revelation to a monk who's bound by the laws and chains of Catholicism, bound by works. And then suddenly a rhema word springs out of the scriptures to a man who's dead in his trespasses and sins. He reads these words, Ephesians 2 verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved, through faith, you have been saved by unmerited favor of God through believing and not of yourselves. It's nothing to do with you. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is all God and he's doing it all. And he's inviting you to come along with him on the journey. And you can't add and you can't take away. You're either going to jump on the bus or you're not. But Jesus is in the driving seat, amen? Not you, not me, and it's by grace. This is a wonderful thing, a revelation which caused a reformation throughout all of Europe. Oh, and all the religious people are upset like they were in the time of Jesus. Oh, they're all upset again. They're all going to lose their jobs and positions. Oh, the priests become busy once again. They had to read the Bible to the illiterate and had to work for their money, you know? So today's message is entitled, The Grace of God Has Appeared. So let's begin. Verse 11, back to Titus chapter 2. Paul is writing, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, 
The first thing is this. Does man really need to be saved? From whom or from what? What does man need to be saved from? I, I tend to meet two types of people, okay? Because I find there's an imbalance with people, and it's becoming, the chasm is becoming clearer. Either they think too much of themselves or too little of themselves. Very rarely do you find somebody who says, I'm all right. It's either I'm pretty good before the Lord or I'm worthless. I'm pretty good or I'm worthless. And I get it. But the question is always this. To what or to whom are you comparing yourself to? To what system or person may you be comparing yourself to? Immediately, everyone goes to Hitler. I don't know why that is. They're always in a... Well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I hope not. In the middle of the marketplace in Cambridge. Or some other tyrant, Stalin or Saddam Hussein or someone. I'm not as bad as them. It's still pretty bad then, isn't it? I'm not as bad as them. But let me ask you this. How are you compared to Mother Teresa? How are you compared to the evangelist Billy Graham? Or to the reformer Martin Luther? How are you compared to them? Ponder that for a moment. Are any of you right now thinking of all their faults? We are a product, and we have to understand this, even as Christians, of Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We are a product of the fall, are we not? The fall of man. You see, man rebelled against God. It's very clear. Man is essentially a rebel on the run. That's what man is. And the results of the rebellion is inescapable. If you think it is, well, the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. It's inescapable. This is the product that we are. And it amazes me that people will even argue of the doctrine of original sin. They're very uncomfortable with the doctrine and they will argue the doctrine. I remember being at a fellowship meal here and there was a man who was visiting, who was non-Christian. And I spoke to him about the doctrine of original sin. That was Adam's sins, that we're all from him and we're all sinners because of him. We're a product from this. He couldn't accept this. He said to me, Look at this little child here in the church. Do you think this person is a sinner? And I said, absolutely. By the very fact her ancestors are, she is a sinner. He said, I disagree with you. I said, okay. Let's ask her father. So I said to Andy, how's Eliana? And he just looked absolutely exhausted. She's been keeping me up since three in the morning. Well, does she well behave? No. 
But sometimes she is, but sometimes she's not. This is the reality. We can be very sentimental and very emotional. The reality is we're all born rebels. We're all offshoots of our old man, Adam. And I think there's going to be a very big queue wanting to speak with Adam if he's made it. Amen? I think there'd be a bigger queue for Eve. Uh, maybe you sisters want to queue up and have a little chat with her about your sufferings. Turn with me to Romans, please. Chapter 3. Romans 3.23, Paul says this, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Paul's an ex-Pharisee. He knew the law, and he knew the standard with which God required of man. He understood this. Let's have a look in Romans 7, chapter 7. Romans 7, verse 7, rather. This is a very important verse. I'm reading it from a slightly different translation. But this is very important. It says this. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Meaning, in error. That's what the word means. Am I suggesting that the law of God is in error? He says this, of course I'm not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting or desiring somebody else's things is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. You see, the law, the law of God is perfect. And it's a mirror When we look at the law of God, we're looking back at ourselves. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know just how short we fall. Is this true? Scary, isn't it? You read the law, well, I can't do this. I can't keep up this standard. God requires a high standard. And I fall very short. And I think this is the only way we can realize just how far we have fallen from the glorious days of the Garden of Eden. This is what we've become. Man without God is in danger. Grave danger. Man without God is in grave danger. And they're very unaware. So this is why the law is important. Turn to Romans chapter 5. That's the bad news. Here comes the good news, okay? Verse 18, Romans chapter 5, says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness or obedience brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. You see that when we come to Christ? See these two new baptized people next week? When you come to Christ... 
a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's a new chapter for you both. There's a new beginning for you both. You've been writing the chapters of your life. How did you get on? Join the club. Pretty bad, okay? Now God is saying, hand that pen over to me now, and I'm going to write the chapters of your life from now on because I'm a better writer than you are. Amen? He's the author. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He writes good chapters. Verse 19 says, Because one person disobeyed God, many, meaning everyone, became sinners. You're an offshoot of the old man. That's it. You're a product of that. However, because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Many who accept Jesus will be made righteous in him. Now, when we say in Jesus, it means this, trusting on Jesus, trusting on his promises, obeying Jesus would tell me if you are trusting in him or on him or not. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I have commanded you? We don't have a fluffy Jesus. We have a real biblical Jesus. He says, you want me as your Lord and Savior? You need to be obedient. I've done it all, but you need to follow me. Many will make excuses. As I often say, Jesus doesn't give suggestions. He gives commandments. His command is to follow him. Amen? So yes, Adam sinned and there's condemnation, but Jesus' obedience gives us righteousness. You are made right in Jesus. And if you're not right in Jesus this morning, you can get right. Amen? It's called repentance. If you've been out of his will, you've been out of line with him, you're not aligned with him, you can repent and get right with him. To confess means to align once again with the perfect will of God. That's what confession means. Doesn't mean going to a strange wooden box with a man wearing a dress. That's scary. Confession means realigning your will with God. And you can do that this morning. And let me just add, it's not an emotion. It's very important. It's a decision of your will. There's too much in emotionalism in churches. It's junk. It's terrible. Because if you made every decision by your emotions, it's not going to look good, is it? Is it? How you feel shouldn't govern how you live your life. We should live our lives and be governed by the word of God, which gives life. Amen? So this is good news. This is good news that Jesus stepped down. He died in your place and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We wouldn't know any of this unless it's according to the scriptures. So let me ask you this morning, does the gospel still blow your mind? Do you ever meditate on this? The very fact that God come down to save you. This week I've been meditating on it. I think because I needed more grace. It's been a busy week. And I had to meditate, well, what does God require of me? Me. He wants me. That's why he come down, because he wants me. He wants me to serve him and to love him and to honor him in my ways. And then Paul's getting excited about this. Paul's been banged up more times than the Cray twins. And here he is writing letters of comfort to the church. He's getting excited that this is historical. God has appeared. 
This is historical as the Titanic or the Battle of Waterloo, whatever it may be. This is real. And he's saying, this is history. God has appeared. And not only that, he's appeared to all men. Well, that means all class of men he has appeared to. From the cleaner to the king to governors to fishermen. He has appeared and he's appealing to all men to come to him. That's what it means. He has appeared to all men. Now, this grace, look in verse 12 of Titus 2, does something. This grace that brings salvation. Somebody mentioned about the Holy Spirit teaching us. Well, this grace which we receive from Jesus. We also receive the promises of Jesus, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit in us that we can live out the New Testament life. You're not going to do it without the Holy Spirit. Impossible. Anyone tried it? It doesn't work, does it? So now this grace that brings salvation is doing something. Look in verse 12. It's teaching us. It's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. See, God is not about reforming the world who reject Christ. God is reforming men who accept Christ. There's a big difference. The whole world is trying to reform the world. You know that even right now. It's because the world recognizes there's a problem. There is clearly a problem in the world. And the world itself is trying to reform itself. And the world is concerned about all the wrong things. It's essence, climate change, equality, diversity, acceptance. This is what the world is trying to change. It's trying to reform itself. You see... The whole world is trying to do this without acknowledging who they are. What about lust? What about adultery? What about hatred? What about envy? What about strife? What about murder? What's the point changing these other things where the heart of man is still dark towards God? still rejecting God. You can change everything. You can put down all your armaments, have all your peace treaties, but in the heart of man is hatred. Look what's happened in Israel this week. They've had peace treaty after peace treaty, war after war, discussions, forms being signed. And look, the heart of man still has hatred for his brother, still has murder in the heart, jealousy, envy, strife. God is coming in to reform you, to change you. But you have to come to Jesus. This is the message. We are to live soberly, and we can because of the Holy Spirit, righteously, in right step with God, and godly, set apart in this present age, because this present age is a struggle. Amen? Paul understood this. That's this present age that we're living in. And it's getting tougher. So we need more of God, more of the Holy Spirit, more of humbling ourselves before God. And the promise is, if we humble ourselves before God, he will lift us up. Wednesday night, Andy, a wonderful evening of worship. 
Amen? People were fasting and humbling themselves for Holy God. What a wonderful evening of worship. I know many who weren't here were praying and fasting as well. That's wonderful. You could feel the power in the room and God being pleased with his people. Look at verse 13. This is what Paul did. Now he's imploring the church to do the same. We are to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to live in expectancy that Jesus could return any minute. We can plan for the future, of course. Plan for the future with our children and schools and everything else. But the expectancy is that he could come any minute. And he is our blessed hope. We have a hope that we can hold on to where the world seems somewhat hopeless. And you, as a royal priesthood, can offer this hope to people. In a world that's getting darker, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And we're to draw people to Jesus. And I think if we reflect Jesus properly, they will be drawn like moths to a light. It's like Heather was saying in her prayer, what's different about you? And we need to be bold. Don't say, I go to church. I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. He wants to know you. We have to be bold at this time. I spoke to three people this week in evangelism. They're all very apologetic. I'm sorry to ask you, have I offended you? And I'm sorry, bring it on. Down pastor of a church, you can't offend me. I get offended every day. Okay? But we're in a society where people don't want to talk. I'm sorry. Just blurt it out. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He died for your sins. Come to Jesus and you have eternal life. Okay? Be bold about it. Be brazen. What are they going to say? Crucify him? Possibly. So what? So what? When you give the gospel, you're offering somebody eternal life. You have the words of eternal life in your mouth. Don't be respecting the person. I wanted to respect their faith and not give them the truth. No, you give them the truth. If you love man and you want to honor God, give them the truth. Because it's the truth that saves. And there's only one way, isn't there? That's offensive to people. So what? I'm offended by this world. Anyone upset by that? I'm offended by how the world is treating Christians. I'm offended by how the schools are treating children. It's disgusting. It's despicable. It's satanic. It's obvious. You have to be in the dark to not understand that. And many are in the dark. Why are people hiding their faith? Come out and be brazen. Especially these guys with all the big fancy buildings. Give the truth or perish. Blind leaders of the blind, says Jesus. Both were falling to appear. You are to be the lights of the world. You are to give the truth. How they react, well, that's up to them. You sow the seed, let God do the watering. Amen? Now, it says here, look, it's very important, because I was speaking with a Jehovah's Witness this week, he was completely in the dark, speaking about the deity of Christ, okay? Scripture says very clearly, first century, Jesus is our what? Great God and Savior. Who can save? Only God can save. So who's Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Be bold about whom Jesus is. What did he do? Verse 14 tells us. We're wrapping up early today. He gave himself for who? Us. He gave himself for you, Scott. He gave himself for you, Sean, Chelsea, Mum, Mum in law, Andy, Michaela. You know, it's next week, yeah, Vanessa? He's already given himself for you. He died for us while we were still in our trespasses and sins. He gave himself for you, Jordan. But he says, come to church each week. Stop hiding out there in Ashwell. Get yourself to church. Start praising the Lord. Don't be disobedient because he loves you. Amen? He loves you and it's good to see you here this morning. But he wants you to be with the brethren. Be here for we love you. And we need to go out for a burger. Okay. God likes fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Sharing Jesus together with a burger. Depends. Okay. He gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from what every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus has paid the price for us that he might redeem us. What? From all sin. He's pulling us back from sin that he may redeem us. He's purifying for himself, no one else, his own special people. He's sanctifying us. He's saving us. It's a process. All right, you're saved. You put your trust in Jesus. You're saved. You're being saved. You will be saved. It's a process. And Jesus is making for himself his own peculiar people zealous for good works. He wants you to walk in the works that he's given you. And we have a great responsibility, but we have a great God and Savior who walks with us. Amen? You might be saying to yourself, well, I'm, I'm not strong enough to do this. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made great in weakness. What about grace? Well, I'm not prepared enough. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Sometimes I have to say that when I come up to the pulpit. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and I'm here, and I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to speak the truth. The whole of humanity needs the grace of God. Amen? You have those words in your mouth. And God doesn't change. The message doesn't change, thank God. The message doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus operates on three time zones, okay? Yesterday, today, and forever. And so does grace operate in three time zones. Look at verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. That's past time. Verse 12 says, teaching us to deny ungodliness. That's the present time. Verse 13 says, looking for our blessed hope. That's the future time. Jesus covers it all, all the time zones. Everything is there for us. He wants us to come to him 
to receive that grace and be excited about it like the Apostle Paul. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God. God's unmerited favor has been bestowed on everyone here. Paul is saying this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking up for our redemption is drawing nearer and nearer day by day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your appearing. We thank you that we can call you our great God and Savior. And Lord, that we can know that you will appear again in glory on the clouds, Lord, for you have given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your Holy Spirit to discern the times. And Lord, may we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age.